You're listening to the Run the Riot podcast, where we talk about all things ultra running. I'm your host, David Terrio, and man, I'm pumped that you are here. Let's see what we can get into today. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Run the Riot podcast. And oh man, we got a good one for you today. Kai Bretz, all the way from Australia. Kai had a paradigm shift when he decided to turn right. What does that mean? Well, you got to listen to find out. (laughs) Kai is the author of the book, Turning Right, and he had a 22% improvement in his 24-hour time in just 18 months. And he set the course record for the 250-kilometer Big Red Run by five hours. What was the difference? his mindset. (laughs) Man, it was really fun unpacking Kai's experience and exploring the benefit of reframing how we think about training, about running, and ultimately about life. I think you'll get, I think you'll love this podcast. If you're a thinker (laughs) or if you struggle with your mind during races, I, I think you'll love this. But before we get started, we need to thank our sponsors. The first is the Screaming Monkey 100. The Screaming Monkey 100 is an awesome race in North Louisiana. It's located on the Monkey Trails mountain bike course near Shreveport. It's got 11 miles of challenging, hilly, and technical single track. They've also included 4.5 miles of perimeter logging road, gravel, and pavement to make it a varied and interesting 15.5 mile loop. They have distances from the 10K all the way up to 100 miles. So, uh, yeah, check that out. Listen to what makes this a very original race, besides the the monkey on the buckle. Um, It's nestled between an abandoned prison, a veteran cemetery, and a national chimpanzee museum. You can hear the chimps caterwauling during the race. It cracks me up thinking about hearing that at 2 o'clock in the morning. But anyway, you can hear the calming tones of the bells chime in the cemetery, and you can run through the shadows of an abandoned guard tower near the prison. How cool is that? The Screaming Monkey 100 can be found on ultrasignup.com, and the listeners of this show who use the code RUNTHERIOT123, again, R-U-N-T-H-E-R-I-O-T-123, will enjoy the only discount available for this race and get 10% off of their entry. So go to www.ultrasignup.com and search for Screaming Monkey and check this race out. We are also brought to you by Runner's World Tulsa, www.runnersworldtulsa.com. If you're in the Tulsa area, whether you live here or you're passing through, stop by Runner's World Tulsa, check out what they have. You can also see Kathy Bratton. She's got a 40-something, 100-mile buckles that you can check out, That all the races that she's done. But Runner's World Tulsa has everything you need from a 5K to our just starting running to, to running 100 miles to more. They've got the packs. They've got the nutrition. They've got the glasses. They've got the shoes. If you need it for running, they've got it. So if you can't be in the area, you, you're not in the area, just go to www.runnersworldtulsa.com and see what they've got. And we are also brought to you by the Outlaw 100 Race Series. You hear me talking about it? I'm going to talk about it again. Check it out. It's a good race series. The races are amazing. Uh, highlights some of the best of South Kansas and, and the coolest areas in Oklahoma. Uh, the Flat Rock Triple Crown is in Independence, Kansas. They, their race is in January, April, and September. I love this course. Totally fun. I had a blast. It's such a varied course. The Lake McMurtry run in Stillwater in April. Another one. I'm telling you, I enjoyed running this race. Um, 
the flower moon in Pawhuska, they in May just had it. I heard it was great. I didn't get to be there, but uh, people that did it, man, said it was a blast. In July, the dark and dirty in Wilburton. Uh, it's at night. And uh, I think it might be sold out, but man, go to www.outlaw100.com and check. They might have added some more spots. We'll see. Then there's also the Thunderbird in Norman in November, another course I love. It's fun. It's fast. It's good. Um, The Outlaw 100, the flagship of all of them, um, is in February, and um, it's 135 miles, 100 miles, 50 miles, 26.2, 13.1, and a 5K all of these are great trail runs put on by by ultra runners, by people that know what they're doing. You'll have a blast. Go to www.outlaw100.com to check them out. And before we get started with the podcast, man, I appreciate those of you who have rated the podcast and uh, shared what you like about it on iTunes or, or other platforms. It helps us out a ton. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for those who are Patreon supporters. Uh, if you go to the website, www.runtheriot.run, and if you want to uh, support us with a Patreon uh, donation, you can click on that Patreon link and do that, man. I really appreciate it. it every little bit helps. And uh, I guess that's it for now, man. But let's get on to the podcast with Kai Bretz. All right, today on the Run the Riot podcast, all the way from Australia, and uh, with a cool accent, we have Mr. Kai Bretz. How you doing, man? Hello, thanks for having me. What time is it there? Uh, nine o'clock in the morning. Nine o'clock in the morning, and it is six p.m. here, man. I appreciate you, uh, you know, getting up, and but you got your running already. You just started your day. You're already in there, man. Yeah, I, I've been for a little sand run, and it's uh, it's great that we. We overcome the first hurdle, which is the time zones. Yeah, that's 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 so weird. And it always I, I have before where I've miscalculated time zones. And so, <laughs> oh, man, well, I'm excited to talk to you. I'm excited to get to know you, man. Um, you've done some amazing things. And 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 guys, just just listen, I don't want to unfold it yet, but I want you to hear um just a few of the things that, that Kai's done um, recently. Now he has done. Everybody that listens regularly knows I'm I'm uh, about to do the triple crown of two hundreds here in the United States, and so you did the Delirious West in 2019. But you've done some other awesome stuff too. So before we even get into that, tell me how. Tell me a little bit about you, where you're from. I know you lived in Germany a little while, and tell me how you got started just running. Just running. So I'm originally actually German. So I uh, okay. raised in Germany and went to university there, then had a little stint in, in, um, in Scotland for school, in Spain for university and doing a PhD there. So I always loved being abroad, uh, worked as a consultant for McKinsey in 12 different countries. And wow. after leaving that life of a consultant, I came through New Zealand and thought this part of the world is just amazing to live in. So, um, so I moved to Australia and uh, I'm here for now 10 years and I've got dual citizenship. So oh, that's some wow. of the background. Very, very international in a way. Wow. Wow. So, so what did you, uh, well, how did you start running? When did you start running? Was it, uh, uh in early, early, really early, really early. So my first race was, I think I was seven years old and it was a long distance race. So it was a thousand meters. 
so one kilometer. Nice. And <laughs> it, it, it felt eternal. And I was, um, I was always, the theme will come up in our conversation. I was always very much in control. And so, so I did the right thing in that thousand meter race where I went pretty slow at the beginning. But then I was actually really annoyed at the end because I had so much left in the tank. It's, I was sprinting the last few hundred meters and obviously couldn't catch the guys in the front. So, uh, but I, lo- I loved long distance running and, uh, and one kilometer became 10 kilometers, became summer, a, a marathon in 1998. So okay. I jumped to a marathon and just to put it in perspective, I was never an amazing runner at the beginning. So my first marathon was four hours, 15. So it's okay. decent. And how, how old fun. were you then? Uh, I was 19. Okay. Um, 19, four hours, 15. And it took me whew, another 10, 15 years to run sub three hours. So okay. uh, a, a long time. And then the magic happened when I turned right. That was some other big moment where actually everything shifted. Oh, and, man. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I don't know whether we want to go dive into that because yeah, that, that probably takes a bit longer. Yeah, well, we're going to get into that. We're going to get. I definitely want to get into that, um, and, and because because your book is turning right, so we've got to we've got to explore that. We've got to dig into it. Um, I just I'm finding it fascinating that at seven years old um, that you 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 ran a race and you you were controlled because every kid I've ever ran or tr- talked to or whatever they you know just go all out and then, and then bring it back and then go all out and bring it back. And, you know, um, what do you, how do you, is it, you just think that's how you're wired? Yes. So I think, I, I think that's really what got me very far in life was always being very controlled and somehow just making sure that I'm in control. As long as I'm in control, I'm fine. That's some other belief behind it, yeah. which got me very far. But you can also see that that's very limiting in a way of, for example, in that race, I noticed all the other kids went and I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll catch them. Well, some of them I didn't catch yeah. because it was, I was too much in control. And, yeah. um, and, and that was where, where some of my ultra journey really went into of saying, okay, I don't have to be in control of running marathons. I don't need to know exactly how things are going to turn out. And um, the first race above a marathon I signed up for was 250 kilometers. Now, yes, I need your help. How many miles that is? I think it's above 140 miles. Yes. 140 yeah. odd miles. Yeah, yeah. So that was the first thing I signed up for. And I thought, oh, stuff it, stuff it all. I'll just go for it. The, okay. Uh, so that's that. So your first, and, and, and I've talked to very few people, you know, most people do the 50 K 50 mile, hundred mile. My, my first, my first, uh, ultra marathon was a hundred mile. Um, so I did, I did similar, but you went, you went crazier. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it was a stage race. So I do have to admit that it was okay. a stage race, which is slightly different, but, um, so that was in uh, 2015. I did my first ultras. And you won't believe it. I haven't yet run a, a hundred miler. Wow. I, I've, I've done 200 milers. Um, I've done hundred kilometers on the other end um, and lots of stuff in between, but I haven't done a hundred miler. Oh man, you're going to have to come to, have you done anything in the United States yet? Uh, I haven't yet. And I would love to. So I okay. absolutely would love to. All right. Yeah. yeah you got to come so, visit. <laughs> you gotta yeah, come, come run, yeah. come run some trail. Okay. Let's yeah. get, let's get rid of this pandemic. Let us travel yes. from yes. Australia and I'll, I'll be over there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, uh, you, you, you're, 
Okay. It's different that you're just a guy that, you know, in control. And, and so, you know, however that came about, because that's normally, I found that some of my best races were when I just went for it. And if I blew up and if I blow up, I blow up and see what happens. And that's when like I, I would PR on a marathon or, you know, and just kind of, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm kind of like you, maybe not so much where I, I like to be in control, pretty disciplined. I have my aid station charts laminated in my pocket and all the, are you a spreadsheet guy when you, when you go for a race? Uh, I, I do like spreadsheets. I'm working okay. less and less with them. So my journey is, is dropping the spreadsheets, but I certainly, uh, I, I can I can show you spreadsheets from my runs in 2001. So it's okay, all there. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so so when did this shift happen? And what are you talking about when you said you you turned right? So um, to put it back into perspective, it was 2014. Uh, I was a marathon runner, and I was summer. It felt like I was getting to the end of summer. What my talent allowed me to do. That that was how it felt. So I was running a nine-second PB here, a 40-second PB there. And I was that kind of 247 runner, 246 runner. So okay. decent, but not amazing either. Right. And uh, I met a, a sports psychologist uh, who became my mentor and asked him for support for another fast marathon. And he said, okay, uh, I'll, I'll help you, but uh, you have to put together a plan and uh, you have to trust me. So yeah, plan is no problem. I, uh, so I put a 12-page plan together of how to tackle Berlin Marathon. And the trust part was the more difficult part because he came back and said, mate, that, that plan, we're not going to work with it. It's not going to help us. 12 pages. It would be great for anybody else, but I can sense you're far too much in control and that is your issue. No, what do you mean? Control is my issue. I'm disciplined. I get up at 4 a.m. in the morning. I do my, my runs every single day. I, um, if you wanted me to do more, I'll do more. He said, nah, I don't want you to do more. I want you to let go of your control. Oof. And <laughs> Exactly. That's how I felt. <laughs> and I said, yeah, what, what does that mean? He said, well, it's, um, you have to do runs where you don't know what they're all about. I said, well, Clever Sherlock, like how can I do some, how can I plan to do something which I don't know what it is about? Yeah. So he, he came up with this concept of a mystery run. And it's it's an amazing concept, which uh, maybe some of the listeners wanted to try it out because it absolutely shifted my running to becoming world class. So what it is about was um, I had to nominate a very good friend of mine who's a really good runner. So a good middle distance runner, much punchier than I was. And he was in charge of the session once a week. He, had, he would pick me up from home and I would have no clue what the session was about. So even during the session, I just have to keep up with him. So if he's running fast, I run fast for however long he would run fast for. If he's slow and long, then I slow and long. Like I would never know, like um, huffing and puffing, I would not know for how long I would have to run that. So it's much worse than intervals. <laughs> Oh, exactly. Man, that's terrible. <laughs> that was exactly my, my uh, response. And I, said, well, I must have gone white. And uh, so my face was completely white. And I said, well, it's like, but when is it fair to give up? And he was just looking at me and said, yeah, well, probably that is your problem. It's, it's, it's all about giving up, isn't it? So come the first day, um, first morning, Saturday morning, and Corey was going to pick me up from home. 
Um, I was absolutely nervous and, um, and, and just really terrified about the run. He picks me up, drops his stuff in my kitchen. We go through the front door, go through the garden gate, and he turns right. So I have to turn right as well. The big thing, though, is I had never, ever turned right at my garden gate. Wow. And that, that was the eye opener. It was like, wow, there is a different world out there, which I'm just, I've never accessed. And this is the way I'm leading my life, completely in control, always turning left, always doing something which is predictable, which is somehow all about self-control, discipline. And what happens if I turn right? And we're now talking metaphorically speaking. What happens? And well, yeah, what, what's that territory? What's that world all about? So that, that in a way, um, the first mystery run itself wasn't that horrible. I just, I was stretched, but it wasn't that horrible. It really came back to that eye opener of, uh, there is a world out there I'm never accessing. And if I want to grow, I have to challenge my, and I have to be vulnerable to see what, what is the new stuff, which I've, I've never done before. Wow. So, so I started turning right. Just a, a paradigm shift, just, Absolutely. It, so it was as simple as that. It, it was just from now onwards, I have to turn right. It's metaphorically speaking. I had no clue what that meant, but that was pretty clear. It's turning right is going to be the answer. So what happened? You're, you're, you're training, you're doing that. You, it opens your mind, your first race after that, that Berlin Marathon. Berlin Marathon. Um, it was, um, so it, it, it basically the, the question was always from, from Gavin, who was my mentor. His question was always, how do you deal with the unexpected? I said, well, in a marathon, there's not a lot of unexpected stuff happening. If we're honest, there's not a lot. Yeah. Well, completely wrong. It, <laughs> there was a lot of unexpected stuff happening. And I dealt extremely well with it because I had become mentally more flexible. So the first unexpected thing was um, like a quarter into the race, so really early on, there was this car plowing through the field, overtaking me. So uh, in the Berlin Marathon, and I was moving. I mean, I was targeting uh, somewhere around about a 240. And so I was moving. And there was this electric, electric car coming through the field, overtaking me. And then a few kilometers later, I overtook the car again. And, you know, I was there to run a good race. And normally that would have thrown me off, just that kind of being annoyed of this this car, what is it doing here? Yeah. Uh, I had no clue. Later on in the race, I found that it was the car which was picking up the pacers who had dropped out from, um, um, yeah, from the winner of the race. So supporting the winner to run a new world record. Um, and it was somewhat picking them up. But it was inconvenient for me as a runner. So yeah. I just completely just ignored that. That was the first thing. The second thing was um, even before halfway, Suddenly, my, my heart rate completely exploded. I had chest pain. Never happened before. I had no clue what that was all about. And um, yeah, this. Um, so my mentor had given me a last, a final gift um, on my journey. He had given me a rubber band and said, well, if anything unexpected happens and you don't know how to deal with it, you wear the rubber band around your wrist and you just flick it. And then it will sort things out. Oh, okay. um, it's a magic uh, rubber no, band. A magic rubber band, exactly. Well, it was a rubber band out of a normal kitchen drawer, as most of us probably have rubber bands in the kitchen drawer. So I flicked the rubber band 
And it worked. And it worked because it stopped my thoughts, that kind of negative spiraling of thoughts of just now my chest is sore right now and we're only, uh, we're only like, what is it, mile 11, 12. So there's a long way to go. And just that kind of downward spiral never happened in, in my thoughts because that, that, that short, sharp pain of the rubber band just took away the thinking. And so I refocused. And, um, and, and when we refocused, there's no big surprise. The pain went away as well because I don't know what it was, but it didn't matter. It just went. So, so I ran a, I ran a new, uh, a new, pub, uh, a new uh, personal best, uh, 244. I thought, yeah, it's not bad. It's, I can do better, but I left marathons. I just thought, okay, it's time to do something bigger and to turn right. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, yeah. And, and and it just, and we need to talk about this and because I I saw some videos of of you and some of the races um, with you smiling and just being happy and, and racing. And um, so much of what we do is, is mental. I mean, agree. Yeah, we've got to. And I'd never worked on my mental game. It's I'd, I'd completely focused on all the physical work and those kind of 4 a.m. sessions. And they are important. Yeah. But it's not everything. Yeah. It's uh, being relaxed in a race makes such a difference. I agree. Yeah. Well, and part of the, part of the mental is knowing that you put the physical in, you know, that, that hey, I put the work in and, and that's part of it. But like you said, uh being ready for the, for the unexpected is, is huge, ex- especially in ultras. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and that was then the journey stepping up to that um, 140 plus um, a mile stage race of just, I said, okay, I'm now, I'm turning right. And right means I'm not running a marathon anymore. I'm picking something I just have no clue about. And I don't even know what I'm capable of finishing. So I picked this race uh, through a stage race through the Simpson Desert, which is outback Australia. So in the middle of Australia, it's hot, it's sandy, it's off-road. I hadn't been a trail runner. I'd never run on trails. Um, and, uh, and it's a terrain. I, I couldn't even practice on the terrain because it's, uh, it's a thousand, more than a thousand miles away from where I live. So you, you can't just visit yeah. it and, and somehow do, do a course, uh, uh, run on the course. So, I, I just had to prepare for six months for something which was unexpected and say, okay, how will I deal with whatever comes up? Running on sand dunes, running through the heat, um, running, yeah, just in the middle of nowhere in a way. So, so how did you prepare for it? How did, what did you do? Um, I, I did a lot of, so I focused a lot on mental training. Okay. So, um, and that was, so I'd, I'd started probably around Berlin Marathon. So I'd started to meditate and that, that really shifted that kind of, it quietened my mind. So that was a big thing of just not buying into every story I had been telling myself uh, just in that self-talk. So managing self-talk in a way, uh, that was one thing. And then it was uh, doing everything just in action. So I was, um, I was camping in a friend's backyard because camping was what we did at night in, in the desert between stages. Um, so I ran, I ran basically a marathon on a Saturday, camped in his backyard, and then uh, got up in the morning, had my race nutrition, and, and ran next morning another marathon just to see how would I back up from that. Uh, so really doing that live in action and seeing – uh, how is it just sleeping in a tent and then running a marathon? 
and um, yeah, was this a runner friend? Uh, he it was Corey, the guy who had okay. turned right. So he was the one who had gotten into all of that trouble in the first place. Because <laughs> had he not turned right, well, <laughs> I would have been in control. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. it. I love it. You know, you know, like if somebody listens that doesn't do ultras, that we're crazy, right? You know, that it's crazy to sleep in a tent and run back to back. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But, but the funny thing was, uh, and it probably is up to now is I always look at the other ultra marathon runners and say, yeah, but they are crazy. And I'm the only normal one. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> Yeah. 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 Whatever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh. Well, so tell me, tell me about your, your first ultra stage race and, uh, and, and how it went. And also I have to ask a question before you, before you tell me about that. Um, is it true that in Australia, especially in the desert or when you do in trail trail running, that just pretty much mother nature, everything out there is trying to kill you. <laughs> um, yes. Yes. Okay, so right. the, the, the only advantage of the desert is you won't find sharks because they are not in the desert. <laughs> okay. That's good. That's good. <laughs> but, uh, but yes. Um, and in, in that race, I was lucky not to uh, come across um, any, any of those nasty snakes, which we have plenty of here, here in Australia. Oh, um, uh, yeah. Different races, obviously you can't avoid them, but yeah. in that race, I was, I was pretty lucky. Yes. <laughs> so, um, first, the, probably the, the biggest one was the first stage, which was just a marathon, but obviously the first marathon out of many marathons and then going, I think the little, um, the longest stage was a double marathon on day five. So when you're already exhausted, um, so first marathon, I, I go out very quickly. There is, there's nobody else with me running with me. So I'm in front, uh, completely le leading the run, enjoying it absolutely in the zone, running through a spectacular landscape. And then um, a couple of miles from the finish line, you have to um, um, climb the highest dune of that desert. It's called Big Red. That's where um, the race name Big Red Run comes from. So it's one of those huge red sand bit, um, uh, dunes, stunning. And you run on the soft sand, on the top of the uh, of that sand for a bit more than a mile and get to the get to the finish line. So I, I climb up that that um, that dune and see footsteps there, and then I notice there's another runner in front of me. That was unexpected. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, well, so I'd done lots of sand running, um, and 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 I knew if I just put in the effort, I could just quietly catch up with that guy. He wasn't super fast. And just make sure that I win the stage because that's, I mean, I was in the lead. And so, so I catch up with him and he probably expected me even less than I had expected him. And I noticed that he was the course marker marking the course. <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> so, so I was much faster than anybody had expected me to run for. I got to the finish line. The finish line wasn't yet set up. <laughs> because the race directors hadn't, I mean, um, it was, I think the fastest, um, the, the race record for that, for that first, um, trail marathon was like four hours, 15 or so. And, and I ran it in, in three hours, 44. So half an hour faster than anybody had run it before. And everybody looked at me and said, congratulations, Kai you must be new to this because <laughs> you have gone out far too fast. You're going to die tomorrow. <laughs> You're going to die tomorrow. So that's, and I thought, hmm, I feel really good. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. So let's see. 
So day two, uh, second second marathon, and uh, and off I go and run even 15 minutes faster than the first day. So uh, by then I already had a one and a half hour lead uh, in front of everybody else. Um, and uh, at the end, fast forwarding forwarding to the end of the race, I smashed the race record by more than five hours. Wow. And uh, and just thought, wow, it's it's when I turn right, there's real magic happening. It's mm. it's I don't have to be in control. It's somehow just unfolds, and and I was just present. Now there were challenges during the run, so it, it wasn't like easy running, but yeah. uh, I just dealt with them and loved it. So how did yeah. you how did you balance uh, you know I mean kind of your new philosophy in running and okay you still have you know you still got to do the work you still got to plan and you still hit you know I'd imagine you hit some pretty some lows while you were running and uh, yes but um, how do you how do you um, how do you do that is it just being more accepting and 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 problem solve yeah it's so um, probably the, the the pivotal point was day two so it was. Um, so imagine everybody expects me to fail, which is, I mean, there is pressure. There's clearly yeah. pressure because you're the idiot coming back into camp <laughs> saying, well, I've gone out too fast. And it, it can happen. Um, so halfway into that second stage, I noticed that my legs were getting tired, which is pretty normal after having run one and a half uh, marathons. Well, the legs get tired on that kind of terrain. It was really tough. I mean, soft sand is not easy to run on. And yeah. Um, and even when it wasn't soft, it was, it was difficult, difficult terrain and I was tired. And I, um, for a moment, there was that kind of fear bubbling up saying, well, this, this is going downhill very quickly now. And then because I was somewhere in the zone and just really relaxed and just didn't buy into that story straight away, just some kind of inner knowing emerged from within me. So there was no thinking. And it was that, that kind of realization Kai, what is happening right now is you are growing desert legs. So, and I thought, oh, what, what? Like, am I getting delirious now? But <laughs> it was, it was that kind of. I'm just adjusting to these, these new, um, these, this new environment. The body is adjusting, and soon I'll be very, I'll be absolutely fine. So yes, I'm tired right now, but soon I'll be fine. And I completely believed it. I just, I just knew that I would be fine. And that was exactly what was happening. It's in my mind. I have this image of, okay, I'm, I'm now growing desert legs, whatever desert legs are, but they will be adapted to the desert. Yeah. And, and from there onwards, that, that's how I, I ran a new race record um, with desert legs, which is much easier than if you have normal human legs yeah. for the city. <laughs> no, that's, that, but you know, that's, that's, that's really cool that in your first ultra, you came to that realization because, you know, in my ultra journey, it takes, it, it, it takes time before you get the wisdom, like, or like, or this is a low I'm adjusting, uh, you know, mm. and, and that in your first one, you just kind of, okay, this is what's happening. Let's, let's keep, let's keep cruising, you know, let's keep doing this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I loved it. Yeah. It, it was, it was just a stunning environment to, and, and very humbling to run just through, through nature where you wouldn't just access um, access those kind of sand dunes uh, on on a normal day because I mean it's just it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's important to remember while we're um, while we're taking in these races and and in in an, an area you've never been, and we can get so focused in in being 
watching our feet, looking down and instead of embracing just the, the whole thing and looking around and taking it in and, and smiling and, you know, being happy, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, but, but then talking about challenges, what, what happened after that race was some, some of my ego probably just said, well, now I get it. I'm an ultra runner. I can do this. <laughs> well, guess, guess what? Guess what happens then when you, when you suddenly you think you, you, you've understood the game. It's I really had to fall quite. Uh, yeah, just uh, I just had a horrible race after that, like complete disaster race, um, oh, which was probably the best thing I, which could happen to me. But yeah. it, it just had to happen. So um, I got a phone call from the president of Australian Ultra Running who said, well, he'd seen he had seen me running that, that race and it was very impressive and whether I would want to make the 100-kilometer world championships team running for Australia. And obviously, I mean, I had never considered myself as an elite runner representing my country. And, uh, and yeah, that's great. But, um, but obviously, you have to qualify for that race. And that kind of... Um, that kind of pressure just absolutely got me of mm. having the pressure to get my name onto a board running a certain time. So I was back in that kind of controlled way of getting to a certain outcome rather than just seeing what would unfold. I mean, if you see what unfolds and you're trying to get a result, well, you might not get the result. That was my mindset. Then. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I went to a hundred kilometer race in New Zealand Um uh, to qualify and I needed to run seven hours, 27 hours, 30, somewhere around there. So a decent time, 4.30s. I'm oh, sorry. That's all per kilometer. I'll, 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 I'll drop that because we're in miles. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't uh, know what that is. Just <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's, I, I can tell you it, it, it was bloody fast for me. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. so, and and, uh, and even as, not, not even halfway into the race, I noticed like everything was falling apart, but it all fell apart mentally. Mm. It, was, it was like I was not running any faster than I, was, than I had done in training for even longer, but somehow my legs were sore. My, um, I, I, was, I was just tense. I was stressed and nothing was really, nothing was working for me. Yeah. And I was about to give up, absolutely about to give up and say, well, this, this is just not for me. And then while I was in the process of giving up and even walking back to the start-finish line, I had this realization of saying, okay, if I give up, I'm going to miss out on something. Mm. And it's not going to miss out on the spot on the Australian team. I'm going to miss out on, on some kind of revelation of some, some learning, which I have to learn something in this race. I don't know what it is, but I have to get to the finish line regardless of the time but I have to just stick this out yeah. and take the learning home with me. And I'm glad it was, it was so clear. So I, I ran the race more than an hour slower than I intended to run it. And the learning I came home with was I have to tap into my why. So why am I running this? Mm. And I'd forgotten that. And it was to explore. I'm an explorer. I want to explore what's happening. I don't want to win Obviously, there's a part of me which wants to win. Yes, there's a part of me which wants to be uh, make the Australian team. But it's really that exploring of what am I capable of and what happens in these races. And I'd forgotten that. And that's why the, the race was a disaster. But remembering it set me up for success after that. Yeah. 
That's 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 awesome. And 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 I I agree, man. I think some of my the fire that's been lit in me has come from a, a DNF, you know, about racing, mm. you know, when, when you, you get sidetracked mentally and you, you know, you have a pity party for a little while and then it's like, no, it's time to, you know, I need to fix this and, and, and get it right. But I love, I love the attitude of being an explorer. That's, that's one of my favorite things to do is to go a place I've never been before and, and run in it, you know, <laughs> explore that. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Oh man. All right, guys, I'm going to interrupt the program just for a minute to talk to you about a great company that provides great products, Exoskin, exoskin.us, seamless athletic apparel, 100% made in the USA, uh, using their patented rapid-dry copper materials. These materials are great at reducing friction, and they hate moisture, and they also kill odor-causing bacteria. Huge bonus for us ultra runners. Exoskin Apparel keeps you comfortable in any condition, dramatically reducing the risk of chafing, blisters, and hot spots. I wear the Exo Toes and I wear the Shorty Shorts. Love them, man. They're great. They're really good and they do what they say. Um, they make a full range of apparel. They have the socks, the toe socks, and the regular socks. Compression arm sleeves, leg sleeves, shorts, tights, and shirts. They just launched a liner short our underwear that's getting really awesome reviews for comfort and performance. They've got a two-way stretch exo waistband that's never been done before with seamless apparel. Good stuff. If you go to the website, www.exoskin.us, and you use the code RUNTHERIOT, all one word, R-U-N-T-H-E-R-I-O-T, use that at the checkout, you get 20% off your entire order. Every product is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Wear it for 30 days, and if you're not totally happy with the product, they'll give you a full refund. So visit their website at www.exoskin.us, and you can go to their social media at ExoskinUSA. All right, let's get back to the program. So you said one of the things that you, you, you change your paradigm and you said one of the tools that you use is, is, is meditating is, med- is, is meditation. So t- tell me a little bit, cause I've, um, I've done some, some, some mindfulness things and all, but tell me, tell me a little bit about what you do and, and, um, how that, I don't know how that's changed things for you, uh, and how yeah. often you do it and how long and, and, yeah. and all that. So, um, I, I, I started just by watching my breath um, just for 10 minutes or so. The typical kind of, I, first of all, I think it doesn't really matter what type of meditation you're doing. So it's like whatever you might be drawn to and whether that's, uh, that is watching your breath or that's a guided meditation. There are lots of apps which are supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think it doesn't really matter. It's, it's just as a starting point, start somewhere. And what is way more important is to find a rhythm and say, um, I, I love keeping the entry barrier low. So say like do five to 10 minutes, but do it rather yeah. than um, hoping to do an hour and then not doing it. So, yeah. um, so it's, it's very important to just regularly doing it. If, if you want to, to see some benefits, sign up for two weeks, just say the next two weeks, I'm going to do it every single day. And it yeah. might be five minutes, it might be 10 minutes, something like that. And then it's just about quietening down. And the very first thing we notice is when we try to focus on any object, whether it's a breath or whether it's, um, whether it's um, some other body, internal, some kind of um, body sensations or a candle or whatever it might be, it won't take long until our, our mind just creates its own storyline and off we go, off a tangent. 
<laughs> yeah. And, and that is part of it. So that is, I think the, the most important part there is don't judge yourself for that. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's challenging. It's yeah. all we have to do is in a way when I, and I still go off tangents very often in meditation, I just celebrate the moment where I catch myself that I've gone off a tangent and say, the choice I have right now is bringing back somehow to focus on. It will go off again, but I'll bring it back. So it's celebrate those, those moments where you are in control, you're back at choice and you bring it back. And then, yes, it will go again. And, and that kind of practice, it sounds, it sounds, well, lots of people say yes, but isn't it boring? Yeah, it's, it's challenging. It's not the boring part are the repetitive thoughts in our heads. Yeah. They are the boring part. It's just, it's, it's just telling ourselves the same story over and over again. But by f- being able to focus more, we all know that focus is the first part we need to get into, um, to, to get into flow, for example. So if we want to have a great running experience, we are way better. Peak experiences happen when we're in flow. Yeah. And for flow, we need to be able to concentrate, um, yeah. like effortlessly concentrate. And that's where meditation helps. Then as well, those kind of deep insights of as stupid as they might sound, but the desert lakes I, I've grown, they came from somewhere deep within me, just an idea which popped up. It's If we're just in our thinking mind, we will never come up with those ideas because they, they are too crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. They don't make sense sometimes, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, well, and you know, we, we, we live in a world that's so fast paced and, and that's one of the reasons a lot of us, you know, we run is to, to, to be away and escape. And, and I think, you know, that we can, like you said, we can practice that. And, and I've, with some of what I've done before, you're right, that we have to accept when our monkey mind, you know, runs off, uh, because otherwise we could be, get frustrated and be, I, I suck at meditating. This is stupid. You know, it's, Correct. Which you, Correct. Every, you know, we all stink at it at first, you know, it's like, <laughs> exactly. So, um, and that's, that's thing. What, what we somewhat cultivate is being a bit more gentle with ourselves mm. and, um, and, that I find a very interesting concept of, especially long distance running. Lots of people think it's all about mental toughness. And there is certainly an element of toughness in there of just saying, okay, uh, I've committed to this and now I'm, I'm going to do it. Yes, there is yeah. some toughness. But bring gentleness to the challenge, like real, being gentle to yourself and you will go so much further and that's what many people just don't understand how gentleness can actually get us very far. And, and I'm sure you will experience that in your 200 milers. It's um, try to do 200 miles just with toughness and see how long that is going to work for you. Yeah. It's, uh, it didn't work for me. It's <laughs> the gentleness. Uh, I had to bring the gentleness to the, um, to the party and things just shifted. Wow. I'm, I'm trying to unpack that a little bit because um, – I think that, yeah, because, because, uh, you know, there, there's different camps out and, and I, I kind of go between them, you know, there's a lot of people who, who run, uh, and, and I, and I try to lean on running happy and I, I, I coach runners. Yeah. I tell them, you know, when you go into an aid station, I don't care if you feel like garbage or not, you smile and you thank them. That gratitude goes a long way. It, sh- it changes you and it's the right thing to do. And so, um, you know, and it helps you, but that, I guess that, um, that resilience 
the outward outward you're still moving forward but bringing bringing that gentleness in there and uh, i don't know i guess allowing yourself to feel it but still moving forward i, I don't know i'm I, it's it's a hard thing to put together but i i, I understand it? it but i don't you know <laughs> yeah i i would explain it i mean i agree with your with gratitude with some smiling with happiness with with gentleness it's all some positive qualities you bring you bring to the challenge yeah. and the positivity will somehow, it, it leads to motivation to succeed mm. and where the danger of the toughness, the pure toughness lies. Uh, and uh, I'll come back to there. There is a role for toughness, but the danger of just pure toughness is that it becomes a motivation not to fail. It's yeah. that kind of, I have to fight. I am at war with things. I have to, um, it's, it becomes, it's not positive. It's, it's actually negative energy. Now, yeah. that kind of negative, there's nothing wrong with toughness. I, I, to me, it helps short term. Mm -hmm. So think of, think of the finish line in the last few hundred meters. You can be tough. You can just grind it out. You can, yeah. you, you, it's, you can be at war with yourself. It doesn't matter. It's, it's a short burst and it works. Yeah. But if you go for hours and hours and, and in 200 miles, for many people, it takes quite some days to finish. Yeah. Try to keep up that kind of energy and it will eat you from the inside. Mm. Uh, it's, um, so it's that balance of where you're tough and where is it. And discipline, yeah, it has some toughness, but it's just discipline. It's not being at war with yourself. It's someone, well, I've committed to this, so I'm doing it. Yeah. And, yeah. and then be gentle, gentle to yourself. That, that's how I look at it. Well, I, I love I love this aspect, and I love talking about this because um, when when you're when you're running, when you're racing, and um, let's just I did the Tahoe 200 before, and I was having a tough time. Uh, I still I did I did you know I did well. I'm very pleased with what I did, and I was having a, a tough time. But when I smelled the finish line, I was I was I was you know death marching, struggling, but. And it, this happens almost with every ultra. When when I see the finish line, nothing changes physically. Nothing changes. Yeah. But I'm running through that finish line, and I'm happy, and I'm exuberant. And where did that all, all that energy come from? Nothing's changed physically, but something up here clicked when I knew the finish line was right there, you know. And so that it's 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 an amazing, you know. Got I got super positive. I got super happy, and my body said, "All right, let's do this." You know, it's like exactly, <laughs> exactly, and. And why not tap into that a few miles before you see the finish line? Yes. Like, like, uh, because it's, it's, it's just working with your mind. And I feel being someone ally with your mind mm. is better than being at war with your mind because then it's a struggle and the struggle just leads to death marches. I mean, we've all been in those death marches. Yeah, if, yeah. We've, if, if we are doing ultra seriously, well, it happens. Yeah, yeah. And it's not fun. I, I, wait, I, I'm loving this conversation. This is, this is awesome. Uh, okay. Instead of being at war with your mind, uh, be an ally. I love that, man. That's because I have, I have said this before. I said, whatever that is at the finish line, why couldn't I tap into that two hours ago, 10 miles ago, 20 miles ago, because yeah. it was there, you know? Um, and so, um, yeah, that's, but not battling working with your mind. Let me make uh, a bold guess here of what, what stops us from tapping into that beforehand is really our limiting beliefs. It's that kind of, I'm not capable. Um, I, I have to fight in order to somehow survive this. Yeah. And all those kind of beliefs 
while they can be helpful, again, they, they're not bad beliefs uh, when, we are, when, we have, when we just need a short burst of energy. Right. But when we can't see the finish line, I mean, in, in my 200 miler, I struggled uh, probably from mile 120 onwards for a while. It's, and 80 miles is just far too, too long for the mind to say, yeah, it's only 80 miles. Well, it's a long way. And it just can't bridge that gap. And, and therefore, by letting go of that, I'm not capable, I have to fight. Well, what if I'm taking care of myself, substitutes that kind of belief? And then I say, yeah, but then I might be marching, but it's not a death march. It's, somehow, it's a bit more of a happy march. And then the happy march becomes a run, a first shuffle and then a run. And then, yeah, at some point you can see the finish line and then it might become a sprint. Oh man. So, so, and that's, that was my next question. What, what does that, what does it look like in, in your mind? What does that self-talk look like when I had a mile 120, you did the delirious West, right? Yes. Okay. So yeah. And I, I, it gets tough when you like, you know, I've shared this a bunch of times when I told my wife leave, you know, in the dark and I told, you know, I'm going out into the dark, I'm tired, I'm hurting. And I looked at her and I said, this is stupid. (laughs) And she said, yes, it is. And I was like, all right, see you later, you know, but, um, but what does that self-talk look like to you? Like just maybe unpack what you said a little bit more. Okay. I'm, you starting to feel bad. I'm having negative tar, you know, I'm death marching and my energy's down. What are you telling yourself and how, how are you getting out of that? So I was um, probably uh, my mistake. And so the, the delirious West is 218 miles or so. And it's, it's lots of sand again. So it's lots of sand (laughs) along the coast. It's, it's tough terrain. So it's not fast fast moving it's all trail and um not as much elevation as as tahoe but um yeah a pretty tough terrain and uh for the first 30 hours my ego was completely in charge it was all about well thinking of where would i end up in the classification and i wanted to do well and and that was really draining me because it's um uh, I was just focused too much on those external factors, which I couldn't even influence. And it's far too early thinking about the finish line when you're uh, in the first 10 miles of a race, but yeah. that's what somehow where I lost a lot of energy. And then in the second night where uh, the temperatures dropped at night and I suddenly was shivering and I had that kind of sensation of my body's going to shut down. It's mm. I want to keep going, but the body was shutting down and I was, I, w- I was cold. And I, I, I couldn't really move. And I think to get to the next eight stations, which was, um, which was about, around about five, six miles to go. Those five to six miles took me three hours or so. It took wow. forever. Yeah. It's, and that's not nice. And, <laughs> no, it's, it's not and fun. <laughs> no, and, and the self-talk was, well, if the body's shutting down, there's not a lot I can do about this is I was not in the mindset of giving up, but, I might be forced to give up. So um, that was what was going on through my head. And, um, and my support crew, so I had a pace at that stage, and he made a great call. He said, Kai, we're getting to the next aid station. There is our car. You can go into the car as long as it's stationary, which it was. We put on the heater, and you just lock yourself for an hour in the car and rest. Um, yeah. Because I hadn't slept so far. It was 40 hours in or so into the race. And... Um, and I did that, slept for 45 minutes and awoke as a completely new man. So yeah. it was those, four, those 45 minutes shifted everything. I got up 
And from there onwards um, to the end of the race, I was, I was smiling, I was happy, and I knew it was possible. But I had to drop the ego. So what I feel what happened in that car was I somehow surrendered. Yeah. And surrendered wasn't giving up. It was like accepting that the body felt what it felt and saying, I'm okay with it. Yeah. I, will, I, will, I will take care of myself. I'm going to have fun. I'm, I'm really privileged being here while other mm. people are somewhere at, at work and it might be less inspiring. And, and I'm, I'm going to enjoy this. And I did. And then, um, so I was also lucky of just, I was chasing the guy in front. So I was in second position. So chasing the guy in front, uh, Dion Leonard, who's now also living oh. in the US. Um, I know Dion. He ran, he, he ran the race of his life um, yeah. because he was afraid of me catching him. <laughs> I was far off, but, uh, and behind me was Candice Burt. So I knew, nice. well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stay in front of Candice. So that also, I, I shifted to a little bit more of a, of a game of, okay, let's, let's see whether I can catch Dion and let's make sure uh, I don't get caught. But it wasn't that kind of ego mind, which was all about uh, winning versus losing. It was more of a, okay, keep me occupied with a little bit of fun and, and the competitive fun out of it. And uh, so I finished it in, what did I do it in? In 68 hours and a bit. So it was a decent run. Yeah. Um, second place, man. That's great. <laughs> second place. Uh, second place in my first 200 mile. I, um, I definitely took that. That's awesome. So I, I, one of the questions I love to ask, and I hadn't, I didn't ask about the stage race, but I guess for the stage race and the 200, how, how was you, you were already, you'd already run quite a bit of marathon, you know, marathon running, but you're, you're, you're getting into this trail stuff, long distance. How did your body recover? Uh, how did your body do, you know, after, after these long distances? Um, better than after marathons actually, which is really surprising, but I also, I've got somewhere, what, what works for me is after these big races, and I've done six races now, I think, which are beyond the 100 miles, so up to 200 miles, um, I take four to five weeks pretty much off afterwards. And off means a bit of swimming, a bit of walking, uh, a few shuffles, but not, no structured training, and just yeah. if I enjoy it. And those four to five weeks afterwards of not doing a lot and having the confidence that I won't lose all my fitness, which you won't, right. they make all the difference. Um, and so in the year where I did Delirious West, that was in February, uh, then a few months later, I qualified for the, for the world championships. So I did a 24-hour run. So that was redemption for the failed 100 kilometer attempt <laughs> yeah. i thought okay if it's not 100 then i have to step up to 24 hour running because it's more my thing it's yeah. it's a bit longer and um so i qualified and then a few months after that there were the world championships so i did three big races relatively short after after each other and my my body recovered really well from it um but i took care of it lots of massages lots of yeah. uh, just cross training and not overdoing it. That's, that's great. So, uh, so you go, you, you, you do these long races and then you go into, uh, out of, was this your first time to race that 24 hour? Um, it was, so I'd done it at a 20, a 24 hour the year before Delirious okay. West. So I've done three now. Okay. And gotcha. That, and that was a real, a real miracle again. So the first one I did pretty well. It's uh, let me just, 
do the, the very quick maths for you guys in, in miles uh, of just what did I do? Um, so it, it was okay. I did um, 132 miles or so in, okay. the first, in the first 24 hours, which was, it was decent. I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not world-class, but it's decent. And it was this on um, a track? That was on a track. So, okay. so that was 531 laps around in the athletics track. Uh, round and round and round. Yeah. 132 miles. I then, um, a year later, tried to attempt, uh, well, attempted to get to the world championships, uh, so qualify for the Australian team. And um, I ran uh, 150 miles, 22% performance gain in 18 months. Where you say, where the heck is that coming from? Yeah. Um, and I can tell you, when you work on the mindset, there has so, there's so much untapped potential. You will never, if you're a good runner, and uh, and Sima hope to get 22% performance gains from one year to the next, it just won't happen. Um, but the mind can somehow unlock all of that, and and that was all just bringing turning right more into action, saying where can I let go of control, and and have fun and um, and be in the zone, yeah. Wow. Well, how did you, how do you, um, you know, one thing when you, when you're doing these, uh, when you do these races in the, in the mountains or different, uh, terrain, and then you go for a a track, how do you occupy the mind, you know, to be just on a track? Um, how, you know, it's, it's different, you know, you don't have external things as much to occupy your brain. So are are you listening to podcasts or (laughs) what are you doing? Um, So it's, it's actually, I, I, it comes back to the meditation part where mm-hmm. we say, oh, isn't it boring running around the track? I mean, 531 laps. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot of repetition in there and, yeah. and the environment doesn't change. But um, it, I find it, it, it's similar to the toughness versus gentleness. So here it's, we think we can zone out and zoning out helps us for a while. Yeah. But actually, I did the opposite on the track and tuned in. So I just tuned into myself and said, well, I'm, I'm not trying to zone out and, and disregard that there's nothing else. I'm just tuning in. How am, how am I feeling? And was just in the moment. And when we're in the moment, there's lots of stuff happening. So I suddenly uh, heard the birds sing. And then it, it got night and the birds stopped singing. And then you hear some animals somewhere far in the distance. And you say... There's heaps of stuff happening, but it's more nuanced. It's not the big change which you have on a trail race where you have a mountain here and a lake there and then something else amazing somewhere else. But it's more nuanced, but that nuance also offers a lots of lots of variety, but you have to tune in. Yeah. And um and just just be in the moment. And and that's where I find meditation really helps. Mm. Mm. That's, that's, that's awesome. I haven't done a 24 hour yet or a track race yet. And I, um, my wife thinks I'm crazy, but I have it on the list, you know, so <laughs> awesome. just because awesome. I want wow. just to experience it. I want to, you know, be in the moment and, and, and just, it's something different. It's a challenge and it's so, yeah. So I, I will try to be in the moment on that and not just <laughs> say this. Great. Sucks. <laughs> Great. It, it, it is a lot of fun and, and, and just coming past your, um, support crew every 400 meters on a track, it has advantages, huge yeah. advantages. I mean, you're never far away. You always have whatever you want to have. So, yeah. yeah. And I guess, and I guess, you know, strategy wise, you got to be careful. You don't spend too much time because you can, you know, every, you know, do, do a yeah. little bit of discipline in there. But like you said, 
gentleness. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. nice, nice. So, in in the middle of this of running these races and and learning about yourself, when did you uh, when did you decide to to write the book? Uh, that was um, I had the idea shortly after. The, the moment of turning right. And then mm -hmm. I started writing my book three years ago. So it was a three-year journey pretty much of just writing the book. And I started not even knowing what the book eventually really would be about. So it was another mystery run of just saying, <laughs> I, I get started. And had I known how much effort writing a book uh, would, <laughs> would be, it's um, so, so a piece of advice for anybody Never start writing your book. Oh, it's, don't it's tell me that because I, I have one. I have one in here somewhere. But don't oh, no, no. <laughs> no, no, so, I, no, no. I know. So I'm not going to tell you. And the, the second piece of advice is never read your own audiobook. That's like another ultra marathon. Oh, you did? <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that kind of love-hate relationship. So I loved writing the book. I also yeah. loved recording the audiobook. But it is it's a lot of effort. So it's yeah, because yeah. you can't do it half-assed. And it was, I was writing and writing and people said, well, you're a perfectionist. I said, nah, I just haven't written the book I wanted to write. And I'm not going to publish a book, which is not going to be what I really wanted to write. Yeah. And it just took a bit longer. And uh, next to running and to work in the corporate world as well. I mean, there's, there's lots going on and yeah. Wow. So here, here's a, here's a question I love. Uh, I love exploring this in my life. So since you've, since you've had this shift in, in your thinking and since you started running these longer distances and, and um, I don't know, you learning, you, you learn, learn more about yourself for every race, every ultra, how has this helped you in, in your, your, you know, work life and in your, uh, and in your, your relationships and your personal life? Uh, what is it that you do again uh, in your so now? I it's I've now aligned my work and my my hobby, which is running. So basically, okay. they're coming out together. So a year ago, I I left corporate. So I was uh, I was in a senior management position in, in in retail. So that's where I went after being a consultant. And 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 now I've got um, I'm now an executive coach. So I'm I'm teaching um, I'm teaching leaders about the inner game and how to, how to lift their inner game and therefore just step up and make uh, some help leaders and organizations thrive. That's the idea of like, we're all capable of so much more. And it comes back to those, to that experience of if I can step up 22% yeah. and just take it as a number, but something massive within a short period of time, what does it take to do that in whatever we're doing? Mm. And, and it's, it's less about the performance itself, but that's something we, we can grasp. It's really the, the fulfillment which comes with it, mm. because without the fulfillment, the, the, the performance wouldn't have uh, gone up. So it's how, how do I bring that to, to businesses and, and organizations? So that's what I'm now doing in my, um, in, in my, yeah, in my work life. It's having my own my own company doing uh, keynote speaking, executive coaching and transformational journeys. And it's really fulfilling because it's not like leading one life as an athlete and one life as somehow uh, paying my bills. Yeah. It's, it's bringing it both together. Oh, yeah. I, I love that. I love that. It, it, we, the parallels are so, you know, that my, you have that mindset when, you know, we all in corporate life, we, you know, I work in education. Yeah. We have things that happen negative, but if we can reframe those, if we can, you know, think about them rightly and, and uh, as challenges, you know, yeah. um, 
uh, it's, that, it, exactly. it can change it. Yeah, it's, that's awesome. it's, it, and it's so rewarding. And uh, just uh, just the other week, I, uh, I held a workshop with with fifty leaders of a company, and they basically decided that uh, this year onwards, their mission is to turn right, and they they are now exploring <laughs> what does turning right mean in their company, and that's that's really <laughs> great because we don't know what it means, but it's we're exploring it and it definitely means growth because they're stepping outside of their comfort zone and and entering unknown territory and uh, i can guarantee you there will be yes there will be some failure yes there will be but it's only the stepping stone to something amazing which they will explore i love it i love it that's so cool um how do you in your, in your, uh, I mean, just in your training, cause you go from a, some sound like a very disciplined person, but which is a good thing. Um, are you, are you still doing a mystery run? Or are you, you kind of gave that up. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't do structured mystery runs. A structured mystery Warburg, run. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm not doing them. So Corey isn't picking me up every, um, uh, every, every weekend, but, um, uh, but I do call myself out when, when I'm getting too much into that rut and just I'm not open to new experience. Um, sometimes I need a nudge and I, will, I do get it from my partner and from other friends who say, aren't you all about turning right? So shouldn't you just give this a go? And um, <laughs> I hate it, but, yeah, but, but, <laughs> but quite often they are right. That that's yeah. good. I probably could. I, I think I'm going to get a lot out of your book. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of I can be a control freak at times, so I think it'll be- <laughs> yeah, m- most of us can. I mean, it and it got us very far. It's the thing. It's it control got me very very far, but at the same time, it helped me back going to the next level. And that's probably the message here: is you don't have to drop all your discipline, but don't let the discipline be in the way of doing. Uh, some are reaching where you really want to go to. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think uh, one of the other things I hear a lot of people when they do a run and they just ditch the watch, you know, or, you know, when they're, yeah. we're so used to looking at our paces and everything else and just going to, you know, or do a race where you ditch the watch and yeah. let yourself go, you I, know? Yeah. Yeah. I had to do that in the world championship race. So imagine me at the start line in, in my national outfit being proudest punch and then, surrounded by amazing people. I mean, I was standing next to Camille Heron who ran a world record there and, and, and my watch summer was faulty. It didn't, it didn't want uh, to work the way it was supposed to. So I, a half an hour into the race, I just switched off the watch because it just didn't work. Wow. And um, so I was running the world championships uh, without a watch, basically. Well, it, I had the clock at the normal time on my watch, but that was it. And it was probably a blessing in disguise because I just ran by feel mm. and, uh, and I, I wasn't stressing about it. Whereas a few years before, and that would have stressed me out and I, it would have cost me the race. And um, after two hours, I was in 106th position. Okay, fine. Yeah. By the end, I crawled up to 11th position. I say that's quite, I was moving, plowing through the field without a watch. Yeah. That's, that's impressive, man. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Accept it, accept it and just move forward. That's all you can do. Yeah. We, we don't need all of those things, um, which, which we think we do. It's yeah. just by when, when they don't work, well, take it as an invite to explore. What do we do without them? Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's good. I love that. I love it. So what's next, man? What, what races are, are next for you? 
Oh, well, I'm, I'm supposed to run a 200 miler next Wednesday, um, but it just won't happen, unfortunately, because uh, here in Melbourne, we are another coronavirus lockdown. So, oh, um, wow, okay. Uh, of, officially, we still have chances to get out in time. It just, it, it, it's not realistic. So it's a real shame because I've run so much last two months. I think I've trained a thousand miles over two months and I'm fit oh, and I would yeah. love to do another um, 200 miler. Um, so, um, I'll see what the next available race instead will be, yeah. but similar to your triple crown event, uh, we've got inspired by Candace as well. We've got, um, a, a triple crown under coming to Australia. So, I saw something um, about that, man. Uh, which races, what is it? Is it included delirious West and then a couple others? Correct. Correct. So it was supposed to happen this year, but with, uh, with the pandemic, it's, it's postponed to next year. So. It will be in, in February, Delirious West, which is 218 miles. Then, uh, So that's Delirious West. Shortly after that, there will be uh, Unreasonable East. <laughs> and then there is uh, Irrational South. I so, love it. Uh, and those three. And then potentially, eventually, there will be a fourth race, um, something with North. I don't know. Um, nonsensical North, Not- which is probably... <laughs> which probably isn't even in the north of the country. So we don't know how that is going to happen. But um, those three races uh, would be our version of a triple crown. And I would love to do, to do them. Um, um, I, I hoped to do them this year, but it's postponed to next year. And a uh, big one uh, I've signed up for. It's only August next year. So it's, it's a long time to go. We will have a 500 kilometer, which again, how many miles is that? Probably 300 miles roundabout. Over 300, yeah. Yeah, some, somewhere around there, 300 miles stage race. Um, and um, again, through, through a beautiful part here in Australia. And um, that's right down my alley of yeah. just doing, um, doing, doing stage races with, um, with uh, yeah, some of the stages are like 60 miles long and then you just back them up with another 60 miles on the next day and uh, it will just be epic. So that's the kind of stuff when you ask me what is next, actually, I don't know because <laughs> everything I sign up for seems to get canceled. Yeah. Um, but that is part of dealing with uncertainty and mm. it's just another right turn and something else will pop up and it will be amazing. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. You can just frame it positively. I'm in great shape. I can build on it for the next one. You know, that that's, that's all I can do right now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, and it's so, um, I don't know, it's amazing how different parts of the world and even in the United States, different States are, are, I mean, where I am, I'm in Oklahoma, we're pretty open, you know, the COVID cases have gone down and we're not wearing as many masks and it's just, just different different in different states and different uh, countries, man. I, I hate that you guys are still, still locked down so much, man. Yeah. We, we, we were all in control and then it suddenly popped up again. It's just what it is. Uh, it will, it will disappear again. And yeah. Yeah. Races yeah. will, will come up again. Yeah. Good. Well, hopefully, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, so I am, I am curious. I, I, I always ask this question. People love to hear it. Uh, well, these, these questions, people love to hear what people, what everyone's using for gear. So, uh, um, so I'm going to ask you, uh, I guess first, what trail shoes are you wearing and what road shoes are you wearing? Um, road shoes. I have, um, Eddie zeros. So Adidas, uh, I, I do like running in them. Okay. Um, then trail shoes. I've got a pair of Mizunas, which I really like, but when I go onto sand, I have some hockers. 
Okay. Uh, so I, I, as you hear, I'm, I'm wearing very different brands. Uh, I think I've got five, six different brands and I just yeah. mix them up. But nice, nice. I've got my, yeah, a shoe for every kind of occasion. I got you. Do you wear, you wear regular socks or toe socks? Uh, regular socks. Okay. All right. Um, and uh, what kind of, what pack are you wearing? You have any specific pack you like? Um, I've got a Salomon pack, which uh, very light and which I like. Um, uh, yeah. So that's, that's pretty much um, what I'm wearing. Yeah. All right. And I, I almost shouldn't ask you because you said it messed up at the world championship. <laughs> what watch are you wearing for GPS? <laughs> uh, that, that was a Garmin. Okay. And, <laughs> uh, and um, now as you're saying it, I just bought a chorus uh, pace two the other week. I haven't yet worn it. Okay. Um, but I like the kind of functionality for tracks so that you can somehow say in which lane on the track you're running. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and it somehow doesn't stuff up the GPS on a, on a running around in circles. Yeah. I'm, I'm in my third week with a chorus. So, uh, ah, I, I, I'm, I'm liking it. I'm liking, I'm, I'm liking what I'm, you know, experiencing with it. It's, it's good. Yes. Heart, heart, the heart rate on it's uh, much better than the, what I was using before. So yeah, Perfect. I like it. Hopefully you have good, good results with it too. I, w- I will tell you. Yes. Good, good. Uh, and, uh, okay. So we got, okay. Nutrition wise, what, what are you, what's your, for electrolytes for your food when you're, when you're running two hundreds or out in the desert, what, what are you, Mm. what's your go-to, uh, stuff, man? I'm very different to pretty much anybody I know because, uh, I was, uh, um, I had the privilege of tailoring my nutrition in a, in a lab from, uh, the university here. And um, what I'm doing is uh, most of it is um, liquid uh, sugars, so sugar dissolved in water. And I basically pour it together myself. So it's a mixture of glucose, fructose, a bit of salt, uh, and then just some kind of jelly just for the flavor. And um, it's, it's very sweet, but then I take out that sweetness by, by having just salted chips um, with them. And, um, so it's, a, it's a lot of, uh, it's, it's not a lot of solid food I'm eating in, in long races. Um, I just don't like solids. So mashed potatoes is fine, but other okay. than that, most of it is just self-made, uh, stuff and, uh, and it really works for me. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, do you, so you, at eight stations and some of the major eight, you'd like for 200, you just get mashed potatoes or some kind of broths and stuff like that. Or? Uh, yes. And, um, and, and just, I've got my support crew. So they normally give me just my own stuff. So I normally just bring what I want, which is that kind of sugar solution. And huh. yes, if they, if they have a, if they have a soup at the eight station, which I like, I might eat it. Uh, but I'm, I'm not big on, I know people are eating pizzas and, and eating uh, sandwiches and whatever. <laughs> it's, yeah, I just, I just don't like anything I need to chew on. It's, okay. I don't have the saliva for that in a way. It's yeah. in such a race. I just like something which is easy. Uh, the closer it is to baby food, the easier it is um, to, to, to just swallow down. Nice. Yeah. So, so your, your top secret formula, you don't have a recipe you can share? <laughs> um, it's top secret formula it's it's okay. really trusting yourself okay yeah it's it's so on on food on food it is um on, on food it is two-thirds glucose one uh, one-third fructose dissolved okay. in water with some salt very simple okay and it works absolutely okay. works there you go if, so, and, and if it works for you man you, you you go with it you know that's good exactly 
Um, okay. What kind of, uh, what kind of light are you using? Are you using a headlamp or waist lamp? Or? Uh, yes, I've got a headlamp. I've got a, uh, what is it called? A pixel okay. uh, headlamp. Yeah. And, um, and then I've ordered, I think it's called a strobe light, like a, a flashing red light, which helps me as well in just here on, on my early morning runs, uh, even through the city because, uh, it can be pretty dark and then you don't want to be taken out by a, by a bike, which doesn't see you. Yeah. So, uh, just flashing and then, uh, it's more the safety. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't wear it on a race though. Cause the person behind you, I know how close they are to you. So <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I just make sure that I'm running, um, get enough distance between, between us. Yeah, there you go. You're far enough away. They won't see any light. That's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man. Is there anything else that, that you use or any other equipment that you use that you swear by? I think we've covered most of the um, stuff. Nah, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty light on the equipment. I have to say it's, um, not, not really. So, um, I do like my, just running with a watch. I do like that. It's, it's a kind of just measuring how much I've run. Yeah. They say, yeah, I'm dropping all the control. That one I'm not, I haven't dropped yet. It's, I like it too much. So yeah, keep it, but keeping it simple. And yeah. in any case, just being not thrown by anything, not working saying, yeah, well, if whatever isn't working, well, how do you, how do you then deal with it? I think that's key. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kai, I, I have, I've really enjoyed this conversation and uh, I think, I think the listeners will get a lot out of it and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'll be following you and looking forward to, uh, uh, to watching you and see what, see what happens in your future. And I, and I sincerely, I, I, I will message you after I read or listen to the book uh, and, and, and let you know what I thought about it. I'm really looking forward to it. And so I thank you for taking time and, uh, and sharing with us and man, just, just keep it up, man. Keep being an encourager and, and, uh, and keep running happy. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you very much. And, and any listener who might read or listen to the audio book, so Turning Right, please let me know, get in contact and let me know what you think about it because I'm, I'm really just curious. It's, okay. um, it's, it's one thing to write your words, but then you get to speak them back. Uh, so <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I, didn't, exactly. I didn't know you read yeah. it yourself, so I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you now got used to my voice. It's it's that's what you're getting for nine and a half hours in the book. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, Kai, you take care, brother, and uh, just enjoyed visiting with you, man. Well, thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers.